We've been asking you what your favorite Bond film is tonight. Maybe your favorite Bond soundtrack song, your favorite Bond, your favorite Bond villain. Let me know. 877-399-9898 is the text line. 877-399-9898. Hard to say my favorite, but we'll have to go with the first one that got me started. Live and Let Die. Great music and action. Um, we mentioned that. It's, it's true. The first one you saw often has a special place in your Bond memory. Mine was Moonraker which is often considered one of the worst Bond movies. Um, but it was, I loved it at the time. I thought it was, I mean, it was the first one you see and it's, you know, they, they are spectacular when you're, when you're young, of course, and when you're older as well. I still watch them. Favorite Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, another good one from the 70s. You had a lot of Roger Moore tonight. Roger Moore, George Lazenby have been the two that, have, uh, <laughs> that are in front here when it comes to favorite Bond. Listen, we're talking about this tonight because there was a milestone this week in London. Dr. No marked 60 years since its release way back in October of 1962 in Britain. It came out a little bit later in North America. Uh, playing the leading role, Agent 007, was an unknown actor at the time. Sean Connery, uh, as the Ian Fleming novels, landed on the big screen for the first time. I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. You carry a double O number. It means you're licensed to kill, not get killed. Welcome to Jamaica, Mr. Bond. News of my arrival leaked. Who are you working for? We didn't advertise it. What else do we know about this Chinese gentleman? Nothing except his name, Dr. No. I'm a member of Spectre. World domination. Same old dream. Why is he still alive? Our attempts failed. Same old dream, world domination. Uh, I mean, it's really the rinse and repeat plot of just about every Bond movie, isn't it? But certainly worked, and it certainly worked back in 1962. Uh, apparently, American uh, distributors thought it wouldn't be a success. You know, it was very different from the books. Bond was very different. Connery was very different, much uh, more rugged, much rougher than the uh, sort of suave Bond of Ian Fleming's novels. Um but yeah, a lot has changed since then, too. Uh, needless to say, the new Bond movies are a reflection of this time, and the old ones were a reflection of a very different era. Well, joining me now to talk about the 60th anniversary of Dr. No, someone who was just in London to celebrate uh, the 60 years, lots of events going on there, is Marie Gillespie. He's the managing editor of James Bond Canada. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. It's a pleasure to be with you. 60 years. It flies by, doesn't it? But uh, Dr. No, I mean, it's hard to overstate just how much of an impact the movie had 60 years ago this year. I, I think it's still obviously relevant uh, as a series, uh, you know, that people are, you know, still interested. Um, Dr. No is a, a wonderful film, obviously, Sean Connery's first. And uh, they, they mark it each year with October 5th, which is known as Global James Bond Day. And uh, yeah, I literally just got back from London on Global James Bond Day. I landed on Wednesday the 5th after attending some great events and uh, seeing all of our friends from the Global Bond community. And uh, yeah, everything everything about Bond is still relevant. I mean, people are still talking about it and everyone's clamoring at, you know, who's the next Bond? So if you've Indeed. never watched Dr. No... Uh, definitely give it a watch because it's it's a film that is that is view worthy. It's must see TV. 
Yeah, I've always been really interested in in Doctor No because so much of what happened afterwards seems so obvious. I mean, the Bond character became the Bond that we know today. But when when Doctor No came out, first of all, Connery was Sean Connery was a very brave choice. No one really knew who he was. Um, the Americans didn't think it would work, and it did. Um, it broke a lot of broke a lot of boundaries, or at least it broke a lot of uh, preconceived notions about what could work as an action film. I think that's absolutely true, and uh, you're you're spot on with the fact that you know they didn't know that it was going to be the global success that was the Bond phenomenon of the '60s. I mean, you've seen the footage of you know Sean Connery. By the time they got to the third movie, Goldfinger, I mean, they absolutely knew they had hit a home run, and and you know their the DB5 was you know was the, the toy for Christmas. And Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger was warbling on every radio. And it really, absolutely to me, epitomizes the quintessential invention of the spy genre. Because it was a British uh, production, um, Dr. No uh, didn't actually open in America until the spring of 1963. Right. And so we celebrate Global James Bond Day as the release in the UK by the time they got to the spring of 1963, when From Russia With Love was released, um, they then released that in uh, America in 1964 in the spring. And once they figured out that they, you know it was going to work, uh, North Americans were very lucky in 1964 because we got two Bond movies. We got From Russia With Love in the spring, Goldfinger at Christmas. And then from then on, uh, they've been released the same year all around the world. Yeah, no, no they, they've... Uh... You know, I've read the books. The books were popular in England, obviously. Um, and Sean Connery, the James Bond on the big screen, was not really, uh, wasn't completely unlike Ian Fleming's 007, but it was a different character, a, a more a grittier character, a more working class character, to use the lingo of the time. Why was that? And, and it, it worked, right? I mean, it w- probably wouldn't have worked if he had been more sort of upper class and reserved. Well, I think you're right there. And and I think that Fleming, uh, the Fleming books are, you know, fantastic to read, but they are, you know, they're not for, a, if we'd call it today, PG audience, you know, they were quite uh, graphic, uh, quite violent, and uh, many people just really poo-pooed them. But I, I think that Fleming had a double approach to it, that he took the material from his days of the war and British intelligence to kind of create the character and probably lived a little bit vicariously through his writing, but still separated the idea from, you know, making it an autobiography, <laughs> which wouldn't really work, to that, as he said, you know, a, a a blunt instrument of the British Secret Service. I mean, the man is an assassin. He smokes too much. He drinks too much. He revels too much. And I think that, obviously, in today's days of social awareness, there may be moments uh, when you view a Bond movie from the 60s or the 70s that uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be appropriate now. No. But if you remove that individual scene or that individual remark from the movie and look at it as a period piece 
you understand that, you know, I mean, if you watch Mad Men and you see the men in the office, you know, uh, doing little swaps and, you know, chasing right. skirts, and you understand that in the 60s, that type of thing was not only acceptable, but prevalent. So I think you have to give uh, the writing itself a little bit of a break and understand that the Bond movies come from source material. It's not just pulled out of the ether. Yeah, one of the one of those factors as well is there's a Canadian connection to Dr. No. I often forget this, but Dr. No uh, was played by a Canadian actor. Canadian actor Joseph Wiseman. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We've always we've always thought that uh Eon Productions and the producers Michael Wilson and Barbara Broccoli mm -hmm. uh, in a way have a very close relationship uh, with Canada and certainly an affinity. And if you watch those three movies back to back, you'll actually see a Canadian connection in all three. I believe the most, the most, the biggest connection to Canada that people would remember was of course, Miss Lois Maxwell. Right. Uh, Miss Mike, mm -hmm. Used to be a Canadian journalist and wrote uh, for, for many, many years. And of course the opening sequence of the spy who loved me uh, from 1977 was filmed in uh, Baffin Island in Canada and what is now Nunavut in uh, Ayutthaya National Park. Wow, but the first right. three Bond movies, Dr. No, From Russia With Love, and Goldfinger, in the opening sequence of From Russia With Love, you'll see them playing the chess match, and you'll notice the, the opponent is against McAdams from Canada. Right. You'll also see in Goldfinger, as uh, Bond wakes up on the jet and meets Honor Blackman, Pussy Galore, for the first time, says, where are we? Says, we're 35,000 feet above Newfoundland. Yeah. And of course, I think that the biggest one, of course, is the best, biggest and the best is in Thunderball when uh, when Bond suggests that he goes to the Bahamas to chase Domino. And uh, instead, M tells him that he's been assigned to Station C. Wow. I, I, you know, you're right. I hadn't I'd forgotten about that. Uh, my guest this half hour is Murray Gillespie. He's with James Bond Canada. We're talking about uh, the 60th anniversary of Dr. No, which was celebrated this uh, October the 5th, just a few days ago. Uh, Murray was in London to uh, to mark that. It looked like a great time. You met Shirley Bassey, too. There's a photo of you and Shirley Bassey. So some real um, Olivia Dabo was there, I guess, and uh, some, some, some Bond, the, the Bond royalty to some extent was there with you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always wonderful to attend uh, Bond events, and uh, there are so many facets to uh, James Bond. There are the um, uh, the brands that associate themselves with the movies who uh, will release uh, things specifically for the anniversary, whether it be Bollinger Champagne or Omega Watches. Uh, there's always something uh, great to see. Um, there were some wonderful screenings uh, the, from the British Film Institute. They had uh, some of the Bond cars uh, sitting out front and uh, then of course um, on uh, Tuesday night October 4th uh, there was the Bond uh, the Sound of 007 the Tribute Bond 60 uh, 60th anniversary concert uh, David Arnold, uh, Hans Zimmer uh, Lulu sang The Man with the Golden Gun Shirley okay. Bassey uh, obviously doing Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever, uh, Shirley Manson and uh, and Garbage uh, were there. So uh, you're many, many, many stars from yesteryear from uh, from the Bond movies. You know, Katarina Marino from Casino Royale was there. Lynn Holly Johnson from um, uh, For Your Eyes Only was there. Luciana Paluzzi from Thunderball was there. So it's uh, it was wonderful, but uh, certainly a highlight for me uh, was being able to ex uh, attend the British Film Institute screening of the new documentary 
called right. The Sound of 007, both of which are the documentary and uh, the concert are available to watch on Amazon Prime. So cool. And uh, during the production, the uh, the producers uh, and their research team reached out to uh, James Bond Canada, um, and they know that we have one of the largest memorabilia collections in the country. And so they reached out to us and said, well, I, I bet you would have some pretty interesting musicals type memorabilia. Why don't you send us a, a few items? Yeah. So we did. And, tell me, uh, tell, tell me about those. I, I, people would be curious to know. I know you have this huge collection. Uh, what are some of the, the the treasures? What are some of the treasures in there? Well, I mean, I've got uh, you know some of the the very early books and catalogs from uh, the many Christie's auctions. The Christie's 60th anniversary auction was another thing that happened in London, and they've raised over seven million pounds uh, for various British charities. Michael Wilson and Barbara Block, the Neon Productions, have always been very generous with their their time and their money. Um, I've got probably the largest James Bond poster collection in the country. Um, some extremely rare uh, memorabilia for uh, early press screenings from the 1960s and the 70s, musical memorabilia of, uh, you know, Bond on vinyl, and then all sorts of little uh, trinkets from, you know, little toy cars to uh, to mugs and, uh, and and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, the, the, the collection is... Is uh, is is quite quite enormous, but I, yeah. I must say that when they reached out to us for content for the documentary that uh, did not actually land on the cutting room floor, okay. Variety magazine created a 1987 20th anniversary issue uh, celebrating the 25th anniversary of James Bond and John Barry, as he gracefully stepped away from the franchise, created a very nice ad uh, thanking Cubby and the producers for his involvement, uh, and so if you watch the Sound of 007 documentary, you will see that in in about an hour and four minutes. And uh, so when the credits roll at the end, we were very happy and very proud that uh, we got a credit in the documentary. Nine-year-old me uh, was very, very happy sitting in that theater that day. And director Whitecross was very gracious with his time and gave us an opportunity to talk with him about the documentary. Yeah, I interviewed Monty Norman, actually, a while, many years ago when I was in London. He passed this past year. Was, Was he celebrated at all this year? Um, there's a lot of things in the documentary that they uh, celebrate. Um, they talk about, you know, how the music came about and and how it was not even for uh, a Bond movie. It was That's kind right. of a Caribbean, uh, sort of a Caribe reggae type theme with some very odd lyrics. And uh, there's so many urban legends uh, surrounding the Bond music. And it's it's really great to watch and, and hear it. I think people are going to be, you know, really surprised, like the, the end note of Tom Jones is Thunderball, where, you know, John Barry basically said, look, you're going to have to hold this note. The music's going to play for quite a while. Hold it as long as you can. And, you know, Tom Jones said the room was spinning and he's seeing double and he had to hang on to the to the, the side of the studio booth because he nearly passed out singing the last, the last yeah. note. And it's like, great job. We got it. <laughs> yeah, oh, perfect. Yeah, for listeners, Monty Norman wrote the James Bond theme, essentially. That's him. So that was that's where I was going with this. Uh, some rapid fire questions for you, because we always ask these questions and, and, and you know, you don't have to commit to them, but um, I'll, I'll answer along with you. So um, best theme song? Goldfinger. I think that's a great choice. I like, I like, uh, I always really like Live and Let Die. So that, uh, that'll be mine. Um, best villain? Adolfo Celli as Emilio Largo in Thunderbolt. That's a good one. That's a good one. I went with Jaws, and Jaws wasn't a great villain, but it's the one I remember the first from or Drago from Moonraker. Um, mm-hmm. First, Absolutely. first, first Bond movie you saw because that's where I was going with that. Nineteen seventy-seven. I was nine years old. The Spy Who Loved Me. 
Wow, that's a good one. I was uh, I was also nine, but mine was Moonraker two years later in 1979, I guess, or early 1980. I saw Moonraker and loved it, even though it's probably one of the least least loved Bond films. Um, best Bond film. I know that's a tough one. You know what? I, I'm still going to have to say Goldfinger. Yeah, Goldfinger is a great one, isn't it? Yeah. People often talk about, you know, who's your favorite Bond. I don't think you can put it in a capsule like that. Because to me, that third outing of Connery, the song, the music, the villain, it's still, still, still perfect. But uh, Daniel, some of the Daniel Craig fam- films, uh, you know, like top three, because again, Roger Moore, I grew up with him and was the first one I saw. So 1977, Spy Who Loved Me is still a, uh, 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 like a number two and probably one of the Daniel Craig, either Skyfall, No Time to Die or Spectre, probably in my top three. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, my one of my early, early favorites, obviously, uh, Moonraker or For Your Eyes Only, because those were the first ones I saw. I remember the excitement when For Your Eyes Only came out, knowing that there was a, I was old enough to be aware that there was a new Bond film coming, because they used to put them at the end, right? Bond will be back in X and Y. And I thought, wow, isn't that great? That's, There's another one. One of the best things of the yesteryear, before the advent of the internet, mm-hmm. now at the end of a Bond film, and at the end of No Time to Die, everyone knows the franchise is on hiatus right now, but James Bond will return. But not many, unless you were in the know, you didn't wait. And that was the best part. I mean, obviously, you know, as well, you say going to Free Eyes Only, probably you were so excited probably because you probably got to go by yourself. It wasn't a PG anymore. Yeah. You could go and see it by yourself, which was great. And then waiting until the end of For Your Eyes Only, and the very the very 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 last credit where it would say james bond will return in octopusy and then you felt somehow that you were ahead of the rest of the pack that you knew that the next movie was going to be called such and such fantastic yeah, yeah you knew it was coming so yeah so when i was young and then so for a long time live and let die was my favorite and now i really really liked casino royale i i don't know why i really liked casino royale but it's hard i mean they're all it's hard to to justify it's hard to pick a best one isn't it yeah, and Easy I guess to pick the worst one though. <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell me about that. What is the worst one? Die another day. Yeah, die another day was terrible. <laughs> it was it was they they it just couldn't. I actually watched that not that long ago. Good theme song though. I kind of always like the theme song to it. La- last one, best Bond, best Bond. I guess that's always the inevitable question. You you just mentioned that it's tough to answer, but best Bond. For me, it's still Sean Connery. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, you, you you can't have any of the other ones without him. Right. I don't. I don't think you can. Well, there you go, uh, Marie Gillespie. Thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been fascinating to talk Bond with uh, James Bond Canada. Thank you so much for your time, Ben. Have a, a great uh, weekend and happy Thanksgiving to uh, to you and to all the Bond fans out there in Canada.